0: I love that song that we learned today. Uh, There's nothing that our God can't do. Part of the reason I love that song is I think it puts us in the proper position uh, to view God rightly. I, I think what it does is it makes us seem like we're the children looking at our God as if there is nothing he can't do. Uh, I remember, uh, it was just actually a few days ago, uh, my uh, daughter, two years old, uh, looked up at the moon and stars, and uh, she looked at me with her arms up and said, up, daddy. And, and I was like, okay. So I picked her up, and he was like, she was like, no, 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 up. Like, can you help me reach the moon and stars? And I, I lift her up in the air, and sure enough, she's reaching with everything she owns. she was like, up, daddy, come on. Like, there's, there's just this confidence that daddy can do it. There's just something about it that is, is, is amazingly unique about a child's innate desire to see their daddy and, and, and what that means for them. And I want to talk a little bit about what this, that there are these unique things that, that God has has designed in our heart and soul and the affinity that we have for our moms and dads and, and, and kind of this new phrase that I have encountered that I've embraced, but really exemplifies this point. So, uh, literally, um, a month ago, I was on vacation with my family. So I'm, I'm on vacation. I'm talking about my family being my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, their spouses, their kids, our kids, one house. That's vacation, right? So that's, we're just, we're in. We're all in the same house and we're, we're just making this thing happen. And for me and Stephanie, we're like, hey, look, there's gonna be a lot of cousins. There's gonna be a lot of, uh, you know, aunts, uncles and grandparents. We might actually get a break. Like, we might actually be able to take the kids and be like, here, go play, you know? So like, we're, we're excited. Like, this is gonna be, let's, let's go do this. And, uh, so uh, we're there. I have some work that I'm getting finished up, but they decide, hey, we're gonna go to the beach. And so, you know, moms out there, you guys can relate to this. But like, I was over here working on stuff. So Stephanie was like, "All right, I have to make their snacks and make their meals. I have to get them changed. I gotta put sunscreen all over them and chase them around the house to make it happen. I've gotta get their favorite toys and their favorite stuffed animals and their favorite uh, blanket that they can sleep on at the beach. I've gotta get, uh, I've gotta get all the umbrellas and the the beach chairs. And I've gotta get this all like a pack mule, and I gotta go because." hubby is in the room working on church stuff right so so this is what she's she's doing and so she takes them down to the beach and she gets everything unloaded and the kids falling together they're out there playing and then an hour later you know all of that no thank you from the kids no appreciation they're just playing around out in the sand and all of a sudden I show up and what do they do they turn around they go daddy's here He's here. And she's rolling her eyes like, sure, I'm the one that birthed you and brought you and literally took care of you. But daddy's here. Yay. Like, but there is something about these kids that when daddy shows up, I mean, if you were the same way, it's something, it's going to amp up a bit. Like daddy's here. And what I heard, this phrase that I heard over and over again for six hours was, daddy, watch me. Daddy, are you looking? Are you see? Do you see me, Daddy? Do you see me, Daddy? So I got a two-year-old with it, and a six-year-old with it. They're everywhere I go, everything they're doing, they're like, "Daddy, watch me! Look, I learned how to do a new dive. I call it the pickle. I learned how to do the cannonball. I learned how to to take the boogie board and try to stand on it, Daddy. I'm I'm making these, this new sandcastle, Daddy. Are you watching? Are you watching, Daddy? Do you see me, Daddy? Are you watching? And like the whole time, it's just this constant fight for, "Daddy, do you see me? Are you watching? And I think it's amazing that for us, I don't think we grow out of it. I think there is a desire for approval for our dads to see us and to know that they're, they're happy for us. They're proud of us. They want to hear, good job, buddy. You're faster. You're growing so tall and big and strong. Oh, that's the biggest castle I've ever seen. Oh, you're doing so good. Oh, that was a fun dive. Look at that. That was great. Oh, yeah, don't do that again. That might hurt you. Like, like they want... To have their daddy's presence. There's a lot of us that missed out a lot of that in life, and there's a gap there. But I believe God has something for us on this. Here's a picture of Isaac. Literally, I take this picture of him, and, and he and the look on his face is literally asking me. He was asking me in the moment, Daddy, did you see me? It's because I had my phone out and I was looking and he thought I was looking at my phone and still looking at him, and he was going, I just rode this wave. And and, and what? You're looking at your phone? Like he's. Daddy, are you watching? And so what's interesting though is it's not only when they're doing fun things or exciting things or at the beach or these toys. Like what I have found is that that is true even in why rebellion happens. Uh, About a year and a half ago, um, my daughter was only a few months old. Uh, We were in a rental uh, place and we were moving to our new home I was taken fully in on my master's program. Uh, I was preaching a lot here because of all the different changes and transitions and stuff. And so we're in this crazy season of moving and, and Isaac, who used to be the main person in the room that everybody could see and he always had daddy's attention. Suddenly, now there's a new baby. Now we're moving. Daddy's not around as much. He's studying. So, so we have this reality of I'm, I'm busy and doing these things, but, but for Isaac, he's going, daddy doesn't even see me anymore. So we move into our new house. We're there for about a week and a half. Uh, Our next door neighbor just moved in two days ago, brand new house. And I show up coming home one day from work and I show up to our neighbor's back uh, patio area, looks like this. Where uh, my son decided to take rocks and chuck it, chuck it into the house because it makes noise. So, I show up and I walk through the door and his eyes are about this big, because he got caught. And I have to go to the neighbor's house that I never met before and ring the doorbell to tell him what's happening, that yeah, preacher's kid's living up to his name and he's vandalizing the neighbor's house. Like I'm i walking to this neighbor's house, I ring the doorbell and sure enough, I ring this doorbell and and he's not home, but he's got one of those new smart ones already installed. So he sees me, but I can't see him. And so I ring the doorbell, he's like, yeah, can I help you? And I was like, I'm your neighbor. My kid's vandalized your house. I'm gonna have to pay for that. Really good to meet you like this. I mean, this is the most awkward, terrible thing. So anyways, I go back to the house, and I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe my son did this. But at the root core of it, in the rebellion, he wanted to know, even in my punishment, that I cared and I was paying attention. He wanted to know daddy was watching, even in the rebellion. I think today what we're going to see is that there is an innate reality behind us and that we want our earthly father's affection, attention, even in our rebellion. But even greater so, we want to know, God, do you see me? Are you watching? Heavenly Father, do you see me? Do you see what I'm going through? Are you paying attention? Do I matter to you? Are you watching me, Daddy? Do you see me, Heavenly Father? We are in the series of Jonah and about this message of mercy and, and this idea that Fitz has been taking us through the story of Jonah and several hundred years before Jesus about this messenger that Jesus, that, that God had sent to proclaim what God is doing and what God desires on this earth. And so here we have Jonah who, who rebels and, and he gets ate up by a fish and so now he's, he's smelling like some fish mom and he's, he's showing up and we're going to be picking up in chapter three here. But I want you to invite you to look today where you might have been looking more at the light And through the lens of Jonah, I invite you, I think God wants us to see something different today. And I think we need to see ourselves through the lens of the Ninevites. Through the lens of the king and these Ninevites, these these people who have done wrong. Because I believe what we're going to see today is that they take us on a journey that all of us have to walk through. That me and you in the room, if we were to put ourselves in this story... I believe God would say, hey, listen, you're the Ninevites here in the story. You're not the hero. You're, you're the one that needs to hear the news. I think this is something that we can definitely relate to. So I know we've been on our feet and standing and singing, that type of thing, but I, I want to read chapter three together. So I want to advise you to stand up on your feet while we do this. I want to invite those online, man, thank you for joining us today, no matter where you are around the world uh, for this Labor Day weekend, I, I, I thank you for joining us and excited that you are here to participate. So as we pick up here in chapter three, I want us to see again, I want us to look through the lens of the Ninevites as we walk from Jonah coming out of the fish, finally being obedient to sharing what God had for him to say. And so Jonah three says it this way, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the words of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Daddy's coming home, and you done messed up the siding, right? right, You got 40, 40 more days till Daddy shows up, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. That is amazing how that happens. Uh, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's what they would do to show they're grieving and in mourning. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, and he covered himself with sackcloth. And then he, from the throne to the dust, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, proclaim to him. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray together. God, I uh, I thank you for seeing us And God, I pray that right now, each individual, whether online, across the globe, to in this room, that we would listen specifically to how you want to speak to us today. God, help this be personal. Let this message be for our own ears to hear what you want to have us hear. Use my voice. Use this time to glorify your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So like I said, I think God wants to show us a couple things about this journey that happens for the Ninevites. And these Ninevites were uh, known for being evil, known for their violence, known for being sinners, known for taking advantage of people, known for their violence. These were people who were greatly distant from God. But I believe that the only way this story makes sense is that they were desperately wanting to know, is there a God and does he see me? Even in the midst of their rebellion. Even in the midst of them and their sin. And these are the three things I think we can learn from the Ninevites today. Here's, here's three things that I think we want to see within that passage. All right? And because, you know, um, I've had to learn education all schooling stuff, they all have ours. So uh, the first one is uh, that they, they had to realize. Then they had to repent. And then they were to be restored. So they had to come into a new realization they had to come to a state of repentance and then to a form of restoration, to be restored. All right, I think the first thing we realized is that in this story, they were they were greatly wanting to know if there is a God who exists. They greatly want to know, does he see me? Does he know me? Is he real? And that's the first one here. When we realized, we had to realize that God is real. And so for many of us today, I don't know which one of those you're going to need to hear today, but for some of us in the room, maybe online, you're listening, you're going, I'm doubting whether or not he is even real. Yet there's something innate within me that is craving to find out if he is. There's something in us that desperately wants to know God, are you there? In verse 4, we see them kind of have this unique angst in their heart because of how quickly they turn with the news. Jonah begins. Uh, going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming 40 more days till the daddy comes home and Nineveh will be overthrown. And immediately the Ninevites believed in God. And immediately they believed God had sent him. Immediately believed that God existed. And you gotta look at that and you go, man, how did this happen so quickly? What, what took place in their life? What, what, how could God do this? How could he change them? How could just such a simple amount of words cause them to go, I believe God. That that moment when God is real, that he sees you and he's been seeing your sin and and he knows what you've been doing, he's been watching you, that reality for them to come to that conclusion. I had a a young couple um, come into my office. Uh, They uh, uh, were friends of a family member that we were friends with and so they came in and, and they had a simple question. They just wanted to know, is God real? And so I remember sitting there looking at them, sitting in my office and going, all right, um, so, so let's, let's talk about this. What, what is it about this? Because one of them was going, I don't think he is. And, and if you're thinking like I'm thinking, why are you here? And it's because I believe that all of us have this innate reality working from inside of us saying, God's real, even if I don't wanna follow him, even if I wanna deny it. There's something within and written on our heart that we have observed and seen that speaks to the reality of God. And I want to do that today. I want to share with you the three passages I shared with them. Because I wanted them to see that this whole desire, what this is coming from, was something that was built innately within and around us. And it is screaming that God is real. First ones, Romans 1:20. 1 And uh, Romans one twenty says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, if I could just see him tangibly here, then I'd believe. And he's going, wait, wait, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, all of his creation, so that people are without excuse. And my point behind that is going, you I always ask them, I say, explain to me from your worldview, from your beliefs, and you're saying there is no God, how all these things came to be. Because even science proclaims that whatever it was that created everything has to be timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and powerful. That that is what this this big bang th- background of, of studies go to. This is what it says. It says everything kind of had a singularity point and it came from nothing. And then boom, everything came to be. And so for me, I look at them and I go, okay, from that worldview, what caused it? What was the first cause? And then I'll talk to them a little bit about just the creation, the reality of the fine tuning around us. And, and for them to realize that there is a creator and he is real, but it's beyond even just that. It's also what's written on your heart, and they know this. Ecclesiastes says in this way, in, in 3.11b, it says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. And you know that. You know that we just weren't some chemistry experiment that produced some goo that turned into the zoo and then became you. You know that. You know that's not it. And you know that this doesn't end with just an eventual heat death from our sun exploding the closest star near us. Like, that's not how this thing ends. You know you have eternity written on your heart, even if you're denying it. You know that God is real. And even beyond that, Romans 2, 14 through 15, there's something else written on our heart. It says this. I think, Romans 2, 14 through 15, there it is. It says, indeed, when Gentiles, that's just anybody who's not, Uh, not Jew, that's that's anybody out there, that would include us, who do not have the law, the Old Testament. They didn't have the commandments and the guidance of the Lord. But yet they do by nature what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. There's something innate within you that you know right and wrong. There's something innate within you that you know that things are broken and not right. Their consciences are also bearing witness. Their thoughts are either accusing or defending them. God has written eternity on your heart, shows you the law of morality based on his standards, not yours, and created everything for you to see that God is real. And Nineveh deep down knew that. Which is the second realization that they had is this, that God is real and I have sinned against him. That God is real. They came under the realization that God is real. We've been living our own way for a really long time and then a messenger showed up and messed us up all up and we know we got 40 days to get right and I have sinned against him. I know I'm in the wrong. I know I'm guilty. So I, I asked the young couple in my office, I was like, all right, so now that we've talked about for a long period of time, I gave you a summary, but a long period of time that God is real, that there is a creator that made all of this. And, and based on that creator and there being a God and, and him saying that there is a heaven and hell after this life, which one do you think you're going to and Why? And, and as many in our culture have said, and maybe some in this room or online might feel, they go, well, the hymn and hall, it is heaven there, I don't know. And they eventually went, well, if it is there and there is a God, then, yeah, I'm going to heaven. And I said, well, why? And they said, because I'm a good person. And I said, um, okay, let's talk about that. All right, maybe, let's, let's talk about that. See, God gave us these things called the Ten Commandments. And so let's just use that as a, we'll just start there. We'll start there. If you knock all those out of the park, then we'll move on to other things. But, but we'll just start there. So I just mentioned a few, and, and I'll invite you, if you're online, I invite you just to to let you know, let us all know that, hey, we're not in this alone. We'll see, we'll do a test overall, see if anybody didn't have to say, yes, I did it too. And I invite you in on, here in person uh, to raise your hand. If you committed any of these sins, you're going, yeah, me, I did, I've done that. All right, I want you to raise your hand. And we'll see if we're alone in this. We'll see, we'll just do the test like we made them do. We'll do it together. I'll do it with you. And I ask him this question, have you ever told any lies? And I actually phrase it, have you ever, uh, how many lies have you told in your life? And I said, more than a hundred and uh, things like that. So if you've ever told a lie in your life, go ahead and raise your hand. If you're online, go ahead and type in. Yeah, that's me. And uh, yeah, okay. So if you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. Now you can raise your hand. Um, so, uh, and, and next one, this one's tough. Now, have you ever stolen something? Like, like so have you ever stolen time away from your job? Have you ever told them that you were doing it, but you were really on YouTube? And 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 that you were you were, you maybe stole a pen or a pencil, or maybe took something small? Yeah, yeah. You raised your hand. Yeah. Ever used God's name in vain? Ow. and it gets a little impersonal here, have you ever looked at someone that wasn't your spouse with a lustful thought or heart? Okay, so I'm not judging you, but according to what you raised your hand for, you just told me that you're a lying thief, blasphemer, and adulterer at heart. So based on that, would you be innocent or guilty at the end of your life and going to the judgment day? Would you be in heaven or would you be in hell based on that criteria of being a good person? The Bible says that all liars will have their part in a lake of fire, that no thief, no blasphemer, no adulterer will inherit the kingdom of God if it was just based on you being good. So you're as guilty as me. It's no fun to raise my hand to some of those things. But it's true. And I'll share these passages with them, very common passages, but Romans 3.23 says this way, for all have sinned, we all raise our hand, and all fall short to the glory of God, not the standard that you walked in with of a good person, comparing yourself to who knows what. But when we look at the glory of God, that's our standard of measure. He's the straight line that we measure off of. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, an eternal death away from God. The beauty of this passage here is it doesn't end there. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the first thing you need to realize and what the king and Ninevites realized that God was real and they are sinners. And that's a bad equation for being guilty. So that's why they didn't stop there. They went to the next step, which is repent. And those same passages it said for them to let everyone call to pray urgently on God. All right, they know he's real and they know they done messed up. And so they wanna call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So repent means to turn away. So they're heading in one direction. They're saying, we gotta stop heading that direction. We gotta turn and go the other way. They need to repent, to turn and go the other way. My son Isaac, when he had... uh, was living up to his title of being a preacher's kid and vandalizing our neighbor's house. Um, uh, what What was interesting there is that I asked him, or when I talked to him, when he knew he was in trouble, what words came from him, what he wanted to tell me about how sorry he was and what he would never do again. He, he told me everything. He begged and promised that he would never touch a rock for as long as he lived. He would do anything he had to do because my dad does see me and my daddy can whoop me. Knowing that your father sees you and can punish you causes a reaction one way or another. The same thing happened here. Acts 3 says it this way with the reality of us being sinners, that we need to repent, therefore turn back. We need to turn back away from where we're heading, that your sins may be blotted out, that we can be forgiven for being a sinner. For whatever those sins are in your life, that you can be forgiven and set free from the penalty of those sins. That God provided a way, and that me as a father looking at at Isaac That my goal wasn't just to punish him to equal the punishment to the equal of the pain. Like I I wasn't trying to figure this out and trying to make some equation works. No, just like Fitz talked about last week. In the same way, God doesn't want to pay you back. God wants to bring you back. The reason why I punished Isaac was was because it messes up my relationship with him and what I want for him. If I have to take away all his joys in life and and banish him from being able to play video games and and put him in timeout and and he gets in trouble and I have to just stay on him all the time, that hurts our relationship. I want us to have a close relationship and so does he. He wants it too. He wants that close relationship. He wants to be able to feel that, that relationship. He wants to know that we're good. And here's why I know that. Something innate within him wants to have that affection and knowledge of his daddy because the day that he got in trouble and was punished, he spent the rest of the night on my lap with his head on my shoulder, wanting to make sure that daddy still loved him. Wanting to make sure that even though he messed up, that daddy still sees him. A daddy still cares that I'm for him, that I want what's best for him, that I'm cultivating a love relationship with my boy. He wanted to know that I love him. And that's where we get into what we call restoration, being restored. In Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Why? Because they were running towards him, which is what he wanted all along. It's what he wanted all along. That's why the Acts three passage didn't stop there. It started out with this, repent therefore turn back that your sins may be blotted out, but that times of refreshing may come from what? from the presence of the Lord. He said, look, I want you to be forgiven. I want to forgive you of your sins. I want you to come into this right relationship with me so you can feel the refreshing of being sitting in daddy's lap. I want you to know what it feels like to be right with God. And all these things you're chasing after are not worth it. It's breaking our relationship. So come back. Be restored, be refreshed, be remade. It reminds me of this this book called, uh, Called to Coach. And uh, it it was about this coach named Lou Little. And and so Lou Little uh, was a coach of Georgetown University. And uh, he had a uh, one student athlete that really made an impact on him that changed this coach's whole life. And this is the coach's story as he shares it. He says that there was this young student athlete that that it was was a three-year uh, on his team. But the only thing about this kid that was on his team, the student that was on his team, was, was that he um, was never big enough to play. Never fast enough, never had the skills. Too small. But boy, he had a good heart. He showed up to every practice on time, every time. He was a walk-on with no scholarship. He never played one down in three years of being at the university. But he was always there, always trying, always trying to improve. So the coach is watching this kid and he's going, man, this I like this kid. He's not gonna play, but I like him. And the coach shared how he would watch this kid, uh, even not in practice, but just kind of around the university. And he would see him on campus, and and he saw him one day walking with his his dad arm in arm and, and showing him around the campus. And and he was like, Man, that kid is a good kid. Love having him on my team. So one day they were getting ready to set up for practice, get ready for the next game coming, and 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 this young boy comes into the office with with the coach and says, coach, I've never missed a practice. I've never missed a game, but I got to miss the next one. He says, what happened? My dad died and I got to go home to the funeral. And the coach said, buddy, of course, man, go home. Go be with your family. Go be with them, man. Don't worry about the game. We got it. He said thanks coach and then he went home a few days later it's game day coach is getting loaded up and he gets a phone call it's from the young boy that lost his dad he said coach coach you gotta wait for me i gotta come to the game he said look son you, you don't you don't have to man it's okay to miss all right, I'm not mad at you, you're fine. He says, you don't understand coach. I got to be there. I gotta be at the game. No, nothing's gonna stop. I gotta be there. And he goes, okay, we'll wait for you. So they wait on the bus. He pulls up and he, he comes and sits down on the bus next to the coach. And he says, coach, in three years, I've given you everything I've had. I have bled, I have practiced, I've been at every game. I've done it all for you, coach. And I've never asked anything of you. But I got one ask today, one favor, play me one down. You play me one down. I'm asking for one, one down. And the coach says, look, son, I know you've been through a lot, but I told you, I will never play you ahead of somebody that's better than you. And he said, you're right, coach, you put me in the game. And if I'm not better than him, then you bench me for the rest of my career but you give me one chance in one game, one down. Coach said, all right. So the game's going on, it's in the second quarter. And, and, and so he tells us, he looks down there and he says, get in the game, you're on defense. The kid goes in the game, the other guy comes out, first play game, goes bonkers. I mean, just tears up the field. I mean, diving and tackling. And I mean, just thrashing people. I mean, just throwing them down. I mean, he's just on fire. And so much so that the guy that subbed in for him went to the coach and said, coach, you made the right call. Kid is on fire today. He leaves him in the rest of the game. The game is over. The coach goes and puts his arm around the student and said, buddy, what got into you tonight? I've watched your whole career. I've never seen this. Was it because your dad died? This young boy looked at his coach and said that's not quite all coach my dad has been blind my entire life but today was the first day he could watch me play. <laughs> wanted my daddy to watch me play. For those of you today that's going, man, I don't know if God's real. I can't see him and touch him like my physical father. Or maybe your dad has let you down and left this gap in your life that you can't seem to fill. But your heavenly father is coming to you today and he's saying, I see you. And if this young man can look at his earthly father and go, man, I want to perform for him. I want to leave it all in the field. I want a day to be proud of me. I want him to see me play hard. I want to see me go after it. I want him to see me go hard for him. That he could be proud of me and affirm me and be for me and love me and be encouraged by me. How much more so could we as followers, as as ones that believe in Jesus, that want to serve Jesus, know that Jesus is watching us and for us to get back up again, to know and affirm that he is real, that we have sinned, that we can turn from our sins today, that we can turn from these things and that we can look to him and go, Daddy, Abba, Father, I know you see me. And I want to live for you. I want to go all out. I don't know where you are today and what step you're at. I don't know if you need to know that he's real. I don't know if you need to know that you need to turn from those sins or that you need to be refreshed and renewed today. But my prayer for you is simply this. Let God speak to you because he's real. He sees you. He knows you by name. He's walked with you your entire life and he's ready for you to turn to him today. He loves you. He wants you to know he affirms you. He sees you. So much so that if you were the only one that raised your hand to those sins, he would have gone to that cross and died for just you. let's pray together Jesus I uh, I'm so thankful that you see us that you're watching right now as our heavenly father that we can serve and love you that we can live all out for you thank God right now with the sin that you have convicted us of that we can get rid of those pills God that we can stop with the pornography That we can get rid of these things that have been distracting us in our life. That we can surrender our money to you, God. That we can surrender these things we've been holding too fast. That we can try to have those relationships again and go after it again and give it all that we have on this field of life for you to be proud of us, God. Thank you for dying for us and making a way that we can sit in your lap and walk with you today and forevermore. Thank you for seeing us. We praise you in Jesus' name.